tough lesson to learn, but it, uh, it's fine. Did it say this meeting's being recorded? Yep, okay. guys. Okay. Um, okay, so we're just going to do, Lauren's going to do the intro because she is our resident podcast host, and then we'll go into questions and feel free to say one word answers or expand upon them. <laughs> um, all right, Lauren, you can start us off. All right, let's do it. So I'm just going to do the quick intro and then maybe say a few things about Mr. Dan. And then we'll just have a conversation like we did before, just now, whatever. Okay. It's just always good to have a little friendly person on the podcast. But okay, here we go. So welcome back to Female Fan Nation's podcast. We are on our third episode now, and we're just so excited to have everybody keep coming back and listening. On today's podcast, we have your host, Lauren Moore, and we also have Sophie Frain helping with me and we're going to have Dan Shaughnessy with us for those of you that don't know Dan Shaughnessy I mean we hope you do but if you don't he's an American sports writer he covered the Boston Red Sox for the Boston Globe he's been doing it since 1981 we don't know if he's doing it still that's why we're here but here we go so our first question right off the bat we're just going to get some background info from you Dan so we know you're born and raised in Massachusetts and you attended a college in Massachusetts. Um, have you always been a fan of sports and has it specifically been Boston sports? <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in uh, Central Mass, Groton, Massachusetts, and uh, I played sports through high school. And I was the youngest of five kids and there was a lot of athletes in my family older than me. And I was always going to their games and kind of reporting back to my parents on those. And, and I just, I did a lot of reading and writing about sports when I was a little kid playing and uh, stayed with it through high school. And then when I got to Holy Cross, I knew I wasn't good enough to play there, <laughs> but I really kept the passion and, um, and started writing for the school paper there, which was instrumental and really helpful. And then the Globe used to have stringers at the Massachusetts colleges like you know, UMass or, I don't know, outside New England, Brown, Dartmouth, Providence, et cetera. And I was the stringer at Holy Cross for the Globe. And uh, that led to summer work there covering high schools and, and um, I covered Hamilton Wenham. We did all the, you know, no Essex County get up there and, and all of that. So Cape Ann League did them all. So there was good training. And, and again, I'm really old. I've been doing this a million years. So I started covering the Baltimore Orioles when I was 23, uh, traveling with them and came back to Boston in 81. And I've had shifts as the full-time beat guy in the Celtics when Larry Bird was, was playing and, and with the Sox during the you know, long time ago years. And I wrote The Curse of the Bambino, which started a whole kind of mm -hmm. cult thing. And that was, I've done 13 books. That was one of the first three or four books. And um, it's been great. I feel very blessed to have had a career. You know, you guys grew up in a time of, of championships and teams all being good. It wasn't We're always so that lucky. way. Yeah. But yeah, you are lucky. So I, I feel lucky to have had a chance to write about these teams over the years, all the great players we've had, and then all the championships in this century when you guys have been alive. I know it's crazy that we have really grown up in an era where we don't know what losing is. Like my dad is you from know. Cleveland and so he really went oh through God. it. Yeah. So he's like, you don't know how lucky you are. Yeah. They, like, that's a long suffering fan base there. And I love Cleveland. You tell him to hang in there. You know, I will. We're, if they can we're getting get there. <laughs> it's been a slow incline, yeah. but it's steady. I feel like we're getting there. Um, okay. So you talked about writing in DC and Baltimore were you always a Boston sports fan? And was that hard to make the transition to write about other teams? Well, I grew up of, of you know, all the teams here, Sox, Bruins, Pats, Celtics, yep. but 
you know, when I got into it professionally, I was just a fan of writing and, and of a passion for the written word and reading about it and all of the sports. So right. going to Baltimore, I would have gone anywhere for a job. You yeah, know, just have, lucky age, to have a job. Yeah. Yeah. You guys will be there in a couple of years and you take that first job. And I was very blessed to be covering Major League Baseball at that young age and and uh, didn't care who it was. If it had been the Cubs or the Atlanta Braves or the Dodgers, I'd have been so happy to just be covering big league ball at a young age and being exposed to that. And it was great training. I came back here and it was coming back home. And I've been back here for 40 years now and raised our family here. And, and again, just very lucky to have had the opportunity to be here during this time. How did that job come about getting you back to um, Boston to the Globe? So I, you know, in my years covering Hamilton Wenham and Cape Ann and all those high school years, I was, you know, a Globe correspondent for like four years as a, you know, 20, 21, 22 year old. Mm -hmm. So I knew everybody, I knew all the characters, but I had to go out and prove myself at a smaller paper at, in another market. And um, that paper went out of business, which happens a lot in our industry. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to be in a position to uh, get an offer from the Globe at that time. So I had, you know, I had demonstrated outside the market that I could do it and, and um, was able to get a job offer from the Globe at that time. And, and it was an easy choice to come back here because it was home. And again, I, I just, I know the culture here and mm -hmm. it's easier to, like for your dad, it would have been easier to write for the Cleveland Plain Dealer than to write here. Seriously. What he knows. That's what he yeah. grew up with. And, yeah. and that, that's what I had here. That's great. Well, that's great that so young in your career, you were able to come back here yeah. and continue it for so long. And also what's better than here? Boston what's sports. better than here? Exactly. That, that's true, Lauren. We have the best fans. Yeah. We have all, we have smart people. We have all this young energy of all the student population here. And then the old timers who have like, you know, cranky old bass is talking about generations ago and growing up and going with their parents and coming to Fenway. And it's just a, it's a, it's a great area with a lot of smart people, a lot of energy all the young people, the students, and we have the teams and we have the college teams and we have the winning teams. So, I mean, you can't, you can't have a better market to do it this than, than where we are. I always say things like sometimes, well, I've never gone out or like been out to like a different, but like for some reason, I always like feel like Boston sport fans are just like such family. Like I've never <laughs> seen like anything, like, I don't know. I feel like like other states or like anywhere else like never heard like I feel like I always just hear Boston fans only well Lauren you're on to something there and when you travel like you, we go to games all over the country and there's always giant pockets of New Englanders or transplants yeah. or whatever and they're there and they take over the stadium in Tampa and Baltimore and Cleveland and Detroit and there's when you listen to the Celtics on the road or the Red Sox you hear them and they're there and I've, I've lived it and they're everywhere so what do we think just because Boston's been such a winning city that that's the reason that wherever we go, people hate us? <laughs> I think that, well, yeah, the arrogance of the of, of our fans has gotten out of control the last 20 years because yeah. of all the success. We're not I mean, very Patriot welcome fans, other places. You know, winning six Super Bowls and rubbing everybody's faces. Then there's the impression that they're cheating, which you know people will use that against them um, yeah. and Sox fans. And nobody likes it. Again, like your dad wouldn't like it being at Jacobs Field in Cleveland if, if the Sox fans take over the ballpark there. It's not fun. We've we've worn Patriots gear to Browns games before. It has not been received. That's um, what I'm saying. Very well. <laughs> They're like, oh, you guys. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm you like, can't blame them. Hate us because you hate us, you know? Yep. yep. See, that's <laughs> it I, right there. But I get it. I try to be a polite, 
um, and good representation representation of Boston sports fans. Nice. <laughs> That's good. My roommate, she's from um, Buffalo, New York, and we always, even if we're just going to the bar or anything, yeah. she'll throw that New York hat right on, and she will not care. And it's awesome. <laughs> New York fans are a different breed too. So. <laughs> well, in Buffalo, they're a little bit like Cleveland. They've had a long drought, but they had the four Super Bowls, you know, yeah, like 20, 30 years ago. They lost them all, but they did get to them. And uh, they're, they're good now. So good for them. I hope they get some strength with Buffalo. It's good. Yep. Totally. So staying with the Boston sports and everything. So we just want to know, like, um, can you tell us like some stories about your experience about writing about the Boston sports and like, oh, why they're so I mean, special? you know, I do it every day. Like today. Uh, so Tatum got 60 points Friday night for the Celtics. And I watched well, huge game. We named our dog after him. There you go. So <laughs> and again, that Larry Bird had 60 against uh, the Hawks in New Orleans in 1985. I was there. And so oh, I was that's calling so around full today. Circle. And Kevin McHale had scored 56 nine days earlier and came out of the game early. And Larry said, you better stay in there because someone's going to beat that record real soon. And nine days later, Larry got 60. So I talked to McHale today about it. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a great honor for me to be able to like pick up the phone and call these guys and have them call you back and, um, right. and, and talk about it. So again, it's great for people to see Tatum now and it'd be all about that. But as an older person, it's nice to have some institutional memory and be able to bring that to it yeah. and, and tell the young folks like yourselves what was going on 35 years ago when another guy got 60 and was it, he was the big deal at that time. So yeah, it's just, again, um, when you do something long enough at this level, you have those contacts and, and I'm lucky to have them. And they don't all like me that much. They're not, they don't exactly light up when they see me calling, I don't think. But you know, if you can get a couple guys to call you back, that's good enough for me. Mm. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your likeness in Boston. Um, if you search oh, your name, me. If, I was just about to yeah. say, Laura and I did our research. Oh my God, they all hate me on the internet. Look out. Do you, okay, <laughs> do you know the term? This could be um, a trendy term, but do you know cancel culture? Yes, oh, sure. Have you heard that thrown around? Okay, what are your thoughts on cancel culture? And if back in the day, uh, in I don't know if they use the term canceled, Yeah. but technically you have in your past been canceled <laughs> oh my god so I've had, how do you how do you feel about that cancel culture do you believe in it is it a horrible I thing mean, that we do well first of all the sports forum is is it's wide open and it's sports so we should be able to disagree about the browns or the bills or the socks or the pats and still have a beer and like each other it doesn't need to be personal right. it's sports all right that's what keeps all those sports radio stations going the commentary the hot takes all that stuff so i'm just i have fun with it but mm -hmm. I don't necessarily root for the home teams and I point out flaws and that gets received as negative and, and it, it provokes some anger and I don't know, personal response. So, so yeah, right. if you go on the internet, I'm kind of the devil with, with some of the people out there. And I just, I just sort of laugh at, it. I think of it as immature. And yeah. um, again, there's no reason we can't disagree about the past and the bills and right. it doesn't have to get personal. It's not like politics, which always gets personal now. So right. sports shouldn't be like that. But in terms of the, well, I mean, the cancel culture, I think of that as, you know, I have to be careful. We just, especially in print, because it stays there, you have to be careful what you put on the page and, and don't leave yourself open to provoke a response that's going to offend a lot of people or mm -hmm. create a situation where you need to take it back. Or So you have to be really careful. You have to tread lightly about everything. And I'm mindful of that. I try to stay out of the political arena because there's just too much of it already. 
but people get get their backs up. A, a couple of weeks ago, the Major League Baseball pulled out of the All-Star game because it's in Atlanta. And this was a response to um, the, the suppression of voting in, in Georgia and what's gone on down right. there. Mm -hmm. And that was a bold statement for MLB to do. They don't usually do provocative things. And it offended a lot of their older fans, which baseball has a lot of old fans. Yeah. So they have to be careful. And I wrote it straight. I took no opinion. I just said, this is unusual. They're doing this. And people come roaring out because they want to pin you to an opinion, which I did not give on that. So I'm very careful sometimes. Yeah. I'll give opinions when I have strong opinions and I feel it's time for it. But a situation like that, I'm just reporting the news. But people are very sensitive about everything these days. And we have to be ever mindful of that. Mm -hmm. So funny, at the start of my next question was, in a world that's very sensitive right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I'm wondering, is that new that you've been so cautious about your writing? Like, when you first started, was the world this sensitive about everything that you say? Well, it's again, this is the last five or 10 years with, with the political sensitivity that's it, we're so split now. And yeah. that's unfortunate you know, because you have Fox and you have MSNBC and you have, you know, all these outlets that are, that are advocating rather than just covering and mm -hmm. the globe leans left. And you have all this stuff. So I just in sports, we should be able to separate. But it's been, you know, with the with the with the kneeling protests and Black Lives Matter and just a lot of situations. It, it encroaches on our fun and games. And so yeah. we have to take it seriously, but at the same time, treat it gingerly. And I try not to come out with strong opinions. Like when, I will say, like when Belichick was invited to the White House uh, to mm -hmm. accept the Medal of Freedom, like two days after the insurrection, I thought it was a bad idea for the coach of the Patriots to go to accept this medal under those conditions. It just mm -hmm. wasn't the time to do that. and. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote that and that was a standard. Of course, not everybody was okay with that, but that's how I felt. And if you feel strongly about it, you yeah. got to throw it out there and take your chances. But most of the time we try to stay away from that and just write about the Patriots are seven and nine because Cam Newton sucked last year, not because right. of any kind right. of political stuff. Yep. Did it ever get too much? Like where the, the negative comments really got to you and you were like, I'm done. I'm not writing anymore. Well, it, you know, it, no, no. I mean, and again, I, 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 I try to be aware of what's out there because I want to protect my family, my children, my grandchildren, right. my wife, you know, and sometimes stuff crosses the line. So you just, you want to monitor that. But, um, you know, we're public figures and we take public stands. My name's on there. And to me, if people put their names on stuff, I can kind of take it. It's the anonymity that emboldens a lot of people. And you all yeah. have experienced that with social media and everything else. And yeah, it gives that's people what's a confidence that that's really dangerous and hurtful. And mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of anonymity. No. So Dan, actually, I am at school for sport broadcasting. And something that I have like a tough time to like a tough time with is like saying things like on my mind and like maybe swearing and stuff. Sure. So I, and also I just wrote, so I had to do my senior thesis and I wrote it on like uh, Fox News scandal, like what uh, women have to go through, like hiring process and stuff for sport yeah. broadcasting. Um, so have, since you have like a lot of connections and everything with like the sport industry and like insider information, like, do you have to constantly like watch what you say and like, or get into and like? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, and again, I have, I have two daughters in their thirties. One's a high school teacher. And we will we'll have debates about this all the time is, you know, I have to be careful with, you know, the old guy stuff and stuff that was okay to say or demonstrate, you know, 30 years ago, that's not okay now. And things right. have changed. So you have to be really mindful of that and sensitive to that. And 
again, I, it's funny when you talk about, you know, swearing on the air or whatever, like, you know, <laughs> in the old days we had, it was, it was kind of like the parent mechanism, like you do it with your friends, but you don't do it when you're home yeah. kind of thing. And, and so I do it when I, I, was able, I was able to do that, like on the air, like I've never slipped on the air. I mean, there's been a couple close calls. Wow, and they have that's delay impressive. And all that stuff. That is but, good. Yeah, they have seven second delays and things like that. But, but you don't want to relax too much. You have to remember that you're being professional and you're being yeah. on the air, like like we are right now. Yeah, exactly. Right. They want people to be so relaxed and be yourself. It's like, well, if I was myself, I don't know if you'd like right. that. Yeah. If like you get too comfortable and too relaxed, that can be a dangerous thing. Like I know. For my senior thesis, I had to talk. So like when I was talking about like the whole, like what happened, like my teacher was like, um, why did you choose this subject? And um, who's your role model or whatever? And I was like, I really love Erin Andrews. And I chose this subject is because of like what happened to her. I think it was Odell. And he like said something to her in like a post-game interview. And he was like, I don't want to talk to you because you don't know like what you're saying you're just reading something off of a paper and like for some reason I feel like I wouldn't be able to handle it well and I wouldn't be right. able to hold it in so I don't know if I'm going to be a sport broadcaster well you know you can't you can't flip out on the air you know yeah. you have to say you have to stay composed and then kind of steer through it I mean you can address that one-on-one -on -one later and say hey not for nothing but that wasn't okay yeah but most of usually the viewers or the audience is going to do that for you yeah, you take that on. If you get disrespected or mistreated or harassed on the mm -hmm. air, you, people are going to rush to your defense on that more than you have. You don't have to do it yourself. It's it's public domain, and and you'd be surprised at the defense that you would get without having to say anything. That's true. the 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 fans are usually on it right away and will say yeah. the things that you can't say as the public figure. Right. You know, like they'll take that on for you. Oh sure, everybody's ready to jump ugly on anything now. Sure. <laughs> too quickly honestly yes. um okay a question i'm dying to know have you ever leaked a story or some news from the red sox page or something that you got insider information and accidentally slipped it into a story or into conversation no 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 Never. there are no accidents um and i almost everything i know goes in print so that's why I don't know that much because people don't trust me. They don't tell me anything. So I don't have interesting. <laughs> I don't have great sources, and um, so I just I know what the boundaries are, but I'm not going to leak something like let something out that shouldn't be out there. Right. Um, I just I'm just too careful on that, um, and it would be a mistake. And and it's not good for your employer. Your employer wants that's 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 intellectual property that you've given right. the job, and you right. need to dispense it. To their benefit so that's that would be unprofessional yeah nice all right wow. lauren you want to talk about the books you purchased one of dan's books yes i did i got <laughs> i did the senior year one. Oh my god that's so that's nice thank you yeah yeah that was a really that was a personal but that's okay personal memoir because that's 15 year old book and that boy is he's 33 years old now so he's oh, an wow. adult but, oh, wow. you know, he was the typical, you know, high school, you know, he was a really good high school baseball player and, and nobody wants to read a book about a dad bragging about his son. So we just made that, I was probably <laughs> overly hard on him because it was just a way to, to tell my old stories about being a, a young average athlete in the seventies right. versus having a really good athlete in 2005 and just a way to tell all my old stories. And, and it was sort of a parenting memoir and coaches and teachers 
generally like that book. So I was, I was happy with it. It was kind of a little, I don't know, it was kind of sort of a vanity project and I was happy with it, but thanks for supporting that. It's, it's oh, a nice yeah, little book. Oh yeah, of course. I can't wait to read and I'm excited. I'm actually- yeah, well, let me know what you think. Send me an email. I will. Oh, I'm so happy I have you now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so still talk about the books and like the multiple books that you've done. Which one was your favorite to write? Well, I mean, the senior year book was like, it was so personal and all my stories are in there, my growing up stories. So that was fun. Um, I wrote The Curse of the Bambino, which became a big deal because mm -hmm. that term was never out there before that. And it just kind of had a big groundswell. I did a book with Terry Francona after he was fired by the Red Sox as manager. Um, we did that together. We made the New York Times bestseller list with that. Um, we made good money with that. So that was a really um, rewarding project. And that's, that's kind of, I mean, I, I just did one on my days with the Larry Bird Celtics. And it's a, it's a long, long time ago, like way before you were born. And, but it was fun. There was access then where like, like today's writers are great, but they don't live with Jason Tatum the way we lived with Larry Bird. I mean, yeah, we flew yeah. commercial with the team. We stayed in the hotel, we rode the buses, we waited for bags. I mean, the guys today, there's a moat between the Celtics and the, the news media. You can't get near them. They're, they're treated like rock stars. And I understand that. There was no moat and we did it. So we were in their face, we lived with them and you had a lot of private conversations, barroom conversations, just bus conversations, like being on a team. And we were there. So I was able to bring that to light. And people, the old timers still care about the Larry Bird Celtics because it was the, you know, it's like the Jordan era. It was all people think right. it was better than that whole thing. So, so yeah, I just, that book doesn't come out till November. It's called uh, Wish It Lasted Forever. And I like it, you know, and I think it's, I think it's going to be fun. And it was, it was kind of fun doing that. During the pandemic, we're all home all the time, right? Right. So, why not write a book? Not, what else you know, are you going to do? I got a book on the old days. Why did that um, difference come about with, the I guess the mode between the reporters and the players yeah. like when did that happen and what that's a good that? question Sophie so in this in the 80s again we were traveling with them mm -hmm. and then guys started to want to get their frequent flyer miles and they would travel separately and yep. get their own hotel points and be stay separately and and then and the teams kind of like that they were glad we were getting away from them because they don't want us around and I understand that mm -hmm. and um and then it just became less and less access and more when you watch now, like every press conference now is a Zoom event and that's nobody's fault. Right, but right. They like the White House press room kind of thing where they decide who gets called upon and who gets that and everybody gets the same answers. You don't mm -hmm. do individual work. Again, in the old days, this is the old bastard get off my lawn guy. You know, mm -hmm. we work the room and you'd go up to individual players and have individual conversations and build relationships and learn things. And you could also tell your readers what they were like because, well, Kevin McHale gets mad with his bags laid at the luggage thing or just like little jokes and stuff. Right, they don't know that personal stuff anymore. No way they could know that stuff. And you can't tell the readers what they're like and that's not their fault. It just gradually eroded. And of course the teams love it. And the pandemic, unfortunately, is probably gonna put up the arm bar forever. And we may right. never get in the locker room again. I mean, just, you won't be able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with Jason Tatum. Yeah. Right. Mac Jones or, or, or anybody. 
Mm-hmm. I was just going to add my, my uncle works for the Browns and he said that the players love COVID because there's no one in their locker room. They leave right after practice. Yeah. There's no one bugging them. They don't have to answer the same question a million times. It's like, this is their dream just to be They're left alone. Watched and observed and yeah, it's yeah. much more private. And it's, the media it's... isn't allowed in practice that, you know, they it's. Right. If, yeah. it, if there's a fight at practice, no one ever knows about it. I know. Because fights happen at practice. You know that. I mean, and right. it's just, that's where we would learn stuff and you got really it's just it's all gone and again it's nobody's fault but the 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 fans and the viewers and the audience is less knowledgeable because we can't tell them what they what they're like anymore do you think we'll get back to a point where the media nope. is as involved nope. no no never like it was and the best you can right, hope but... for is to get back to what it was like two years ago mm-hmm. and even then it was getting increasingly like again, like they say, well, Alex Core is available at 4:40 today. I mean, it used to be you just walked into the manager's office and you'd shoot, right. the, shoot the crap with them, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that went that went away. It became formal. Like Alex will talk to everybody now. And again, one-on-one is far better. And again, if you guys stay in any kind of media, you get so much more one-on-one than you get in a in a group. It's just yeah. so inhibiting, and people are very careful. Whereas one-on-one they'll pour their heart out more to you. Yeah, it's so true. Well, now that we're still in this conversation about COVID, um, let's just talk about how it impacted you in your career right now. So are you sick about like writing about it and how it's like affecting professional sports? Well, I mean, what it's done is it's discouraged leaving my office here. I mean, there's no upside to going to Fenway or the garden. I've done it. But then the game ends and you I mean, you can't talk to anybody, you can't go near anybody. And then when it's over, you Zoom, same as I would do sitting here in Newton. So right. there's no, so you, again, you don't, you, you worked at, in the old days, I'd go to the garden, I'd stand around the court before the game, I'd talk to Danny Ainge, I'd talk to Maxwell, mm-hmm. just talk to the out-of-town media. And when, in the old, old days, talk to the players because they were closer to my age and I knew them and they knew me. And there's none of that informal now. It's just, it's just Zooming and again, the moat. So uh, there's no upside to going and until we get access, I don't see any, any reason. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been on an airplane in 14 months and I used to fly like, wow. you know, hundred times a year. I mean, yeah. I'm just going everywhere for everything. There's no reason to do that. So I've, you know, and that's one of the reasons I cranked out that book. It's just, you know, and that's why Sophie, I told you, it doesn't matter what time you call, I'll be here. I'm not going yeah. anywhere. I'm available, you know, so. Good. it's true it's nice actually people who were not accessible pre-pandemic yeah. are more accessible Everybody's I mean it's home. not right it's not as personal like you said as being in person but I mean I've talked to some amazing yeah. people that before COVID I never would have had the yeah. chance to do yeah. that you know That's um, a fact. so you meet a lot of athletes a lot of coaches what's like the weirdest interaction you've had with someone where they just were like either so not into it or they did oh. something that was hilarious like i just like to know like the behind the scenes kind of of meeting there's so-called been a million public figures of, there's been a million of those um i mean nomar garcia power was a guy he didn't like the media at all so we had i remember I've, him. I've, I've had guys threaten me you know the usual oh get angry stuff like that um pedro martinez is this hall of fame pitcher he's dominican and very smart yeah. very yeah, he was our lifetime. I remember him. Yeah, speaks yeah. better English than all of us. He, he's a brilliant guy, the greatest pitcher. And he was he was very smart, clever, and funny. But he had a thing. Um, 
he had a temper tantrum one day and and I wrote about it and then they calmed him down and in the writing about it I said I said it was like he had been tased in his <laughs> tiny butt by a tranquilizer dart like a like they do farm animals you know yes. like put down the animal oh and, my gosh <laughs> and again he took this he took this as I was he pulled me aside he was furious for like a week and I didn't know why and he pulled me aside and he he said I want you to know that I'm not gay. I'm like, what? <laughs> he says, well, you wrote about my butt. I said, no, no, no. I said, that's a farm animal it's thing. It's a metaphor. Like a yeah. That's how they put down horses and, and cows and stuff. They just tranquilize a dart in the ass, you know? He says, yeah. well, I said, I think if you saw this in Spanish, it wouldn't be as bad. And he said, no, I've seen, he says it's worse. <laughs> so, oh my God. He, he was getting teased about it and he wanted to tell me that he wasn't gay. I'm like, well, I'm not writing about your ass anymore. I promise you that, that that's off the table now, but that's not the spirit in which that was issued. So that was a pretty weird one if you want to go there. That's funny. And then what about like, are you ever starstruck by anyone? Like, do you go up to someone and you're like, I can't believe we're talking right now? Well, another good question, Sophie. And I think that you'll you'll find as you, um, it's it's an age thing. So I'm so mm -hmm. old now, it's I can't get starstruck oh gosh, by these it. young people. <laughs> Like even if it's LeBron James or something, I mean, he's my, he's my daughter's age. Yeah. So it's, and you would, like if there was some like um, teen rock star who was like 14 or something, like an old days Miley Cyrus or something. Right. You would just not be Bieber. starstruck. Yeah. You would not be starstruck because you're five years older than her. Right. And it's just, it's impossible. So as you get older, that kind of goes away. But when I was young and still like Bobby Orr or, or Carl Yastrzemski or Bob Cousy, like guys who were players when I was a kid. Yeah, that's a big deal. And it's still, I'm sure your father would be starstruck by Jim Brown, you know. Oh I my, mean, I think he's right? met him maybe. Well, and that's, and that's, I still am, because it's very intimidating. Because when you're a little kid and that guy's on TV, that stays with you. And it, and you, you you carry that into your, your profession, your adulthood. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. So... Tying up the knot, we're going to go to what has been the highlight of your career so far, Dan? Uh, well, professionally, in 2016, there's this, uh, they give one writer an award at the Hall of Fame for baseball. I yes, got that in 16. Yes. Yeah. That, was a big, that was a big deal because, like, you have to give a speech at, at Cooperstown at the Hall of Fame. And, you know, it's, um, it's in that field where they shot a league of their own at Double Day. Field yeah, there. I've been. That's awesome. It's, a, it's such a spot. And I mean, you know, you're on the stage with like Willie Mays and Sandy Koufax and Pedro Martinez and you're giving a speech and Cal Ripken and, you know, your whole family's there. It was like, it was, it was a professionally, it was amazing moment. And the people that are on that wall who I read when I was a kid, it's just, that was a great honor for me professionally. It was a big deal. Do you get inducted into the Hall of Fame like that you, you day? Get a little, as, as a writer, there's, they call it the writer's wing. So you're yeah. not like a, you're not like a, and we're, we shouldn't be, we're not players. It's, that's their thing. But there's a little side, there's a little side wing where there's, there's like 60 writers on the wall there and I'm on that wall and it's, That's great, awesome. you know, it's nice when people go, I say, yeah, go look at me on the wall. Over. Look for me, I'm way down the hall. Yeah, yeah, and it'll, it'll be there forever, you know, and I can tell my grandchildren to check it out. When yeah, they go awesome. yeah. Oh, That's so amazing. It's not going anywhere. That was great. But, I mean, you've had all these amazing highlights. Is there anything that you're still like dying to accomplish or someone you want to talk to or something you want to do before you finish your career? That's a good one. Uh, I think there's a few things that would still, 
you know, light me up. Like if Tom Brady said, I want you to do my book, you know. Oh my be, gosh. That would be a thrill. Like, I would like faint. Right? <laughs> you know, and I mean, I, I knew him when he was, before he was famous and all that. And he got he, kind of too cool for school, but he was always, he's a baseball guy. And I always, you know, but it just, he just got so famous. You couldn't get near him. And uh, yeah. so something like that, or if Bill Russell, you know, said, I'd, I'd like yeah. to give you a one-on-one in-depth interview. I mean, I've, I've interviewed Bill Russell, but it's just, there would be, a, there would still be things, but again, it, Brady's young by my standards, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it would be like an old guy, like Willie May, something like that. But I mean, I've, I've pretty much talked to everybody uh, that, you know, I, I mean, I, I met Muhammad Ali, I, I interviewed, wow. you know, Ted That's Williams, cool. all those guys. So Bobby wow. Orr returns my call. So I'm, I'm satisfied with all that, you know. Well, will you tell them we said hi? <laughs> Which one? Bobby Orr and Tom Mike. Brady. Imagine Gis- Bobby Orr. Giselle? Unbelievable. And he Could is, you, get- you should see Bobby Orr. He's amazing. And yeah, yeah, Giselle, yeah. It, it's, she used to stand outside the locker room with us waiting, you know, waiting <laughs> after the games. You know. Oh, my God. That, that would be someone who I think I would be starstruck by. Like more so than Tom Brady, maybe even. <laughs> I <laughs> you know understand. What? <laughs> I understand. So well, you know what? That's not that far fetched though. Writing someone's like memoir, I feel like people like those yeah. big time athletes, they want to write. They someone's don't know how to do write it. it. Someone's, someone's got to do it. Yeah. And I no, just I... read um this book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, and basically it was <laughs> someone. Did you read it? Do you know what I'm talking no. about? No. <laughs> well, for all our, all of our listeners, that was probably the best book I've read in a long time. But wow. a famous person needed someone to write their memoir and had this, you know, this writer, and then they make millions of dollars, and for years to come, they're known as the person who's written the memoir of, you know, Bobby Orr. That's good That's work, so man. Cool. It's good gig. Yep, love you it. Got to manifest it. Okay, my last question, because this is just like a logistical thing I'm wondering. Can So when you write a book with Terry Francona and then the book sells five years later, do you still get paid years and years later? Like what are those called, those that funds that come it's in? A, it's a very specific system. So, and you know, it's the same with recording artists, whatever. So it's, it's they pay you in advance to do the work. Right. And you don't start making money until you, you the advance pays out. So okay. let's say you were going to write a book on Miley Cyrus and they said, all right, we'll pay you a hundred dollars to write this book I love and, that. And, you'll make, and you'll make 10 cents a copy. So you write it, they give you the hundred up front, you write the book. Yep. And then when it starts to sell 10 cents a copy, once that 10 cents a copy has added up to a hundred dollars, you start making a real 10 then cents a copy. Then you make money. You okay. back in advance. So if you get a large advance, the chances are you're not going to see any money beyond that. Right. Um, unless the thing really explodes, it goes viral and that whole thing. So I do them to make sure the advance is worth the money. And I don't expect, but like a book, like senior year, that's almost at the tipping point where it starts to pay out again. It could be that Lawrence Purchase is the first one that I actually get money off, you know, because it's like that. Because you, you get right. like $2.40 a book, but that's only starts paying out once the advance has been earned out. So that's where, you know, I think, I think, I think of, of the 12 I've done, I think about half of them paid out where I started seeing more money afterwards, but I always assume that I won't. I just wonder like 20 years later, if all of a sudden you get a check in the mail and it's like if, from, well, if you write book. the catcher in the, if you write the catcher in the rye. Yeah. I mean, you right. write to kill a mockingbird. Those For your things whole are, life. <laughs> those things come the whole life and they go to the estate and that's very real, but most books shelf life's over in like, 
six months or less and that's that's the end oh of it, wow you know? so, i think yeah. royalties was the word i was looking for is that what it's called yeah. the royalty that yeah royalties and that's comes. the whole recording artist you know that's that, that's where the dough is if you write a song you know, you're getting dough forever yeah that's amazing i like the behind the scenes of like how you write a book one day yeah. i'd like to write a book we'll get there not now yeah, you will. You will. <laughs> one day um lauren do you have anything else you want to ask i feel like all my burning questions i got out there Actually, honestly, I'm just going to ask this one because I feel like I kind of want to know. Is it weird to have a Wikipedia page about yourself? I, I always have, so I guess, I, I don't know. It's like the, the whole internet scares me a little bit because people, yeah, <laughs> like Wikipedia, I think for a while it said I, I killed President Kennedy on there. You well, know, you can put it anything you want. Right, yeah. so it's <laughs> it's a little untrustworthy and, and, and frankly, you should be careful when you're going to, talk to people or interview people that don't make that your one source to no you can't because it's really inaccurate and um it's you know the prank stuff goes on there and if someone doesn't like you they can kill you i mean i get that when i write books as amazon has the star review system and my mm -hmm. haters will like galvanize and put like a hundred zero star reviews on there this is the worst oh. piece of trash ever and it 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 drives it trends the book down oh. and there's nothing you can do about it i mean so if you have haters, it's, it's, you know, and this is, and you guys deal with all this with school people and social media and all that, but right. it's a very powerful thing. So I just kind of cover my eyes when I go on the internet, because I don't know what's, you know, what's going to be out there. I feel like if they're going to be haters, like at least they could just buy the book and then review it. But like, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guarantee then it would be you, worth it. Yeah. I guarantee you there'll be bad reviews of this next book before it's published. You know, I guarantee it, you know, wow. there's nothing you can do about it. You know, that's crazy. And if you complain about it, that becomes a thing. Now you're right. thin skinned and everything like that. So totally. You, you can't take the fight, heat. You cannot fight with the internet anonymity. You can't fight them. Well, you have a great attitude towards it. I feel like I would be so sensitive to it, but maybe it's hard. that comes with years in the business. Yeah. Your family gets more put out about it than you do, but it's hard. It's, you just have to, you just oh, got to yeah. take it. You know, it comes with it that. comes with the territory, and you know that's there's nothing you can do about it. Right. I feel like once I get a Wikipedia page, that'll be when I make it big. Like well, it's kind of cool to have your own Wikipedia and page. And the blue check mark on Twitter. I don't know how you get that either. But Did you get it? Have it? Yeah, I got a blue check right there. You you have to because otherwise someone says they're you, and then they're putting all this what? crap out there, and you're getting crushed for do that. It? I don't uh, yeah. even remember. Someone someone did it for me. And I didn't even understand what they were doing, but I'm glad they did because there's other oh, fake accounts and they'll have you saying all this crazy stuff and, oh, yeah. and you're getting, you're oh, getting yeah, called on it. Good. It's like, yeah, you, you know, being a little bit well-known is not always a great thing. <laughs> I know. You need to find that person who got you verified and give us their contact <laughs> information because yeah. our female fan nation Instagram, yeah. we could use that, that blue check mark. That really, yeah, the blue check mark in the Wikipedia page, that's going to be the goals Okay. for when we make it. Careful what you wish for. I know that's Good true. Uh, that's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have taken 45 minutes of your time and I just appreciate it so much. Lauren and I are so thrilled that you could be here on this podcast with us um, and for answering all our questions so nicely um, and for being so easy to talk to. It was great. I didn't feel like we were in talking to someone who's verified on Twitter. Like if you told no, me that in no, the beginning. You guys, you guys <laughs> did great. Laurie was right. You're both rock stars. Congratulations. Good luck with the podcast. And Keep supporting Female Fan Nation. Tell Laurie I said hello and and um, and defend me if someone starts killing me. Just defend me, okay? Oh, totally. Sure. I'm like now I'm gonna start throwing out that you're verified on Instagram. <laughs> like talk to someone who's verified and 
by the book, by yeah. all the books. Yeah. And yes, we, we will defend you from now on. You. <laughs> I'll email you after I read senior year too. Okay, yeah, let me know what you think. Yeah, you're a good age to be reading that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Nice. Well, thank you again for being here with us and I'm sure we'll talk soon. All right, then. Good luck with the venture. Right. Right. Have Thank a good night. You so much. This is awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Sophie. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.